This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation. And those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Profiles in Risk. My name is Nick Lamparelli. I am your host. Today, I am joined by Amit Rai, who is the founder of Cyberboxer, an insure tech company based in India. Amit, welcome to Profiles in Risk. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thanks for inviting me. Amit, you're the first person that has come on to this show that specifically focused their business model on cyber and cyber risk. And it actually happens to be the name of your company, Cyberboxer. Could you spend a couple minutes and talk about what is Cyberboxer? You know, what is it trying to do in the insurance ecosystem? So uh, Cyberboxer is working in the field of cyber risk mitigation and rating. So what we do over here is, since cyber is a big, big field in itself, and uh, 90% is uh, moreover about how to actually resolve the risk technically. But now insurance companies getting into picture and lots and lots of different type of cyber insurance product coming out. What we are doing is we are helping our clients to actually rate the risk understand the risk, classify the risk, and quantify the risk better so that they are well aware about the vulnerability and the bottleneck areas so that they can uh, take a call about how much should they get insurance of, uh, what would be the premium size, uh, and how, how to go about it in a holistic way. So at first glance, cyber looks like, uh, as in, uh, it's just about the threat, but it's it's moreover about the threat and the whole ecosystem in totality. Let's start here, Amit. What are some of the risks? Cyber seems to be a catch-all phrase for lots of different things that could potentially happen uh, in the cyberspace. Could you go into what are some of the risks for companies and, and things that insurers have to look out for in cyberspace? Yeah, so 60 to 70% are moreover data breaches. Then comes personal uh, information theft, personal health record thefts, cyber extortion, uh, to name few, ransomwares uh, that are going around. So in totality, there are like 16 to 20 different kind of cyber risk, very prevalent that can be classified on a broader level. And what are some of the biggest misconceptions? When you say ransomware and you know, some of the other types of risks. I'm not sure a lot of the listeners may may even understand what that means. Could you give us an example of a, a ransomware attack? What does that mean? What is going on in that area that could uh, cause harm? How would Cyberboxer deal with that? And then what are some of the ways like an insurance company could come in and protect someone from from, a, let's say, a ransomware attack? Right. So uh, I'll uh, 
quickly jump into a short story that what's what's actually happening around uh, the cyberspace. When I was a kid, uh, generally when we go to marketplaces, uh, we are being made aware that uh, be cautious about any pickpocket because that time around you have purse, you have the currency which is in uh, the paper currency format. Nowadays, it's moreover about cards and you carry your mobile phone and moreover, like these are the assets which you have when you are roaming around. In future, there will be like digital currency, cryptocurrency and all. And the kind of data coming into picture and the kind of money that's been flowing around in the virtual world, basically the cyber is actually increasing. And with the increase of cyber, there is a risk of that there would be some pickpockets which would be transforming from as in a person who is physically doing the pickpocket to a person who would be actually chasing out your date after your data, after your financials, after your information. And that's what exactly is happening. And the future is actually going to be quite large. And the people who would be actually chasing out back then would uh, be in future as well. And they'll actually get into and uh, uh, do these cyber crimes and ransomware. Now, coming straight off to your question that uh, what ransomware and what data breach exactly are. So, as in, at every given point of time, there are uh, continuous cyber attacks that's been going on through your IP address, through, through, as in, whether known or unknown, every individual is being attacked in some format or the other. It's just that uh, people are not realizing it, but uh, with litigations becoming strong and sooner or later, things like more uh, stringent law and regulations coming into picture, uh, people would realize that they have been hurt. The organizations are already getting realizing it. uh, And these these are breaches which are actually on the internet through your IP address or from your uh, physical assets such as mobile phone, laptop, servers. And every uh, industry has uh, some different pattern associated with uh, the kind of business it is and uh, every individual on a similar way. Now coming to uh, cyber extortion or uh, ransomware attack, there would be this, these attacks are specifically uh, uh, related to as in a cyber criminal actually hacking your uh, computer system and letting it go only when you are depositing so-so amount in their wallet and thereafter you would be released. So in in a way, your product production is getting impacted. What you are doing is getting impacted. And it's, it's like uh, you are uh, under a threat that do something, pay me, then I'll uh, let you do what you want to do. That's incredible. I was recently reading an article from a pretty tech-savvy author who was describing how he puts um, a sticky note over the camera of his laptop. I'm curious, is that a common hack? Do a lot of criminals or even just hackers, are they actually able to get into personal laptops and take over the camera element of the laptop? Yes, that does happen, Nick. It's just that right now, probably, uh, the hackers are more interested in uh, making more money, so they would be targeting the corporates. But the time they'd realize that I need to actually get into some personal domain, it's quite mu- quite easily been executed. And uh, as in, you must have uh, heard about uh, uh, Facebook profiles being hacked, and uh, generally, as in, uh, what you when you we were in college, uh, we have been uh, seeing this common 
phenomenon that you, as in uh, the girl's Facebook profile has been hacked and things like that. So the person who is actually on the opposite, who is interested in doing something, and he, uh, the moment he starts targeting, uh, there are links and there are loopholes through which the internet can be actually penetrated and uh, these attacks can be done. So it's just a matter of time, as in uh, if, if there is a hacker and they want to uh, do something about it, uh, yes, they will do. Obviously, uh, forensics would be there and uh, cyber laws are in place and uh, cyber crime cells are there. They would be able to actually track it down, but the crime has already happened at the first place. So uh, how to actually mitigate it? Yes, softwares and uh, antiviruses and firewalls and everything being in place, we are still under threat and that's why insurance is the answer to that. And that's why as in uh, out of $500 billion uh, market, which is currently cyber risk is, almost uh, 10% is being occupied now by uh, insurers. Earlier it used, used to be like 2 to 5%. And uh, uh, as in getting more into stats, like 90% of the complete uh, cyber insurance premium worldwide is in US only. So just um, uh, imagine the fact that although cyber is a global phenomenon, everybody is using Windows uh, laptop, uh, HP servers, IBM, Dell, Apple, and the software is not different from what it is in US to what it is in India or in Singapore or uh, at any other place. Uh, the threats are similar, but um, uh, US being like the front runner in this case, 90% of the global insurance premium and cyber risk is coming from US, but this would actually translate really fast. And uh, what we are seeing is that uh, there is a growth of 30 to 40% in some areas on the year on year premium collection and in US as well, US would be witnessing the same uh, as far as cyber insurance premium is concerned because the industry uh, knows that uh, just the not an antivirus or just the technical things or the binary codes are not an uh, option to safeguard themselves because this would happen. It's just the matter of time when. Cyber so sounds a lot like terrorism. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually heard uh, a really interesting way of someone describing cyber, uh, cyber insurance. Uh, he described it as uh, cyber insurance is like homeowners insurance, except there are uh, active enemies outside trying to burn your house down. Uh, that that's that's pretty scary. So, uh, what does what does how does Cyberboxer help there? Um, can you, can you talk about, you know, what, how Cyberboxer actually does the analytics around it and how different is it from how traditional cat models, uh, perform their analytics, uh, to, uh, to do risk analysis? Right. So, uh, cyber is still a very challenging area actually to model the risk because we have a limited, uh, history of uh, the lost records because this is like uh, uh, the new kid in the block let's say uh, it does not have a big history when internet came actually 20 25 years back then people started realizing the potential then comes the growth and with the growth the dark pages of that particular growth so the history is not long and the most challenging part is that there is new technology coming into picture. But having said that, Cyberboxer is actually working in very close association 
association with world's largest uh, cyber claims data repository organization i'll not be able to disclose the name because of the contractual obligations right now but we are working very closely with uh, uh, the organization which have all the records so these records are being actually uh, uh, converted into a simulation platform or classified for each and uh, each industries and the most vulnerable risk type on the basis of on the top of uh, the size of organization that's that come that is uh, coming from so let's say uh, an organization which is uh, uh, working in an information sec- information technology uh, is being more vulnerable to what class of cyber attack would would it be data breaches would it be from their internal organization employee or it would be a external attack because cyber is very complicated uh, if as an I'll just quickly narrate us uh, learning which we actually uh, developed while doing the uh, as in developing the software was that most of the time internal organization employees are also been uh, one of the most um, cautious uh, uh, threat uh when it comes to cyber attack and uh, while doing the research we have realized that uh, most number of uh, data breach record is been happening in q1 or quarter 1 uh, when the employees actually leaving the organization so what hap- what's happening is that in top shot organization these uh, key employees when uh, they are moving out they they are moving out with uh, important data and uh, that's the data breach so what we are doing is we are classifying it on a simulation platform uh, so that we are able to identify the most vulnerable uh, points where we can actually uh, educate the client and the insurance company as well that how two cyber risk are different from each other and what would be the rating phenomena and how Uh, and and what would be your pure premium in terms of uh, cyber loss which is coming from data breach or from a ransomware attack so uh, not all organizations are equally vulnerable to uh, data breach because there would be some data centric organization obviously they would be more vulnerable uh, like uh, all the hospitals uh, which are very vulnerable to public health record loss and what would be the costing of these health records when it goes to in litigation and what can be uh, uh, the awards that been offered by judge that, and that's the penalties and litigation expenses that uh, the organization the parent organization needs to give up these kind of information is being classified in a way that the client and the insurers couriers and brokers are actually benefiting to classify and quantify the risk better also very interesting uh, uh, concept on which we are working is value at risk generally uh, the house the office which we are living in we know that okay the construction cost per unit square feet or square meter is this so what would be typical uh, total insured value for your particular house or your office building we can easily calculate that becomes your value at risk but when it comes to cyber if i ask a question that okay you want a cyber insurance but tell me what would be the amount that do you want to get your insurance of so most of the time people would be puzzled okay what would be the uh, quantum of amount i should be taking a cyber insurance obviously uh, insurance companies would have some uh, 
predefined rules in which they will uh, offer you that okay we are witnessing that uh, your cyber losses not, might not be uh, more than 10 million or 20 million depending on the size revenue size but that's not the conceptual thing to do so uh, we are developing a value at risk phenomena in which we are actually uh, trying to evaluate uh, the exact amount of uh, uh, insurance you are uh, a uh, particular industry depending on the size would be taking and in what uh, uh, cyber risk type uh, branches so value at risk uh, rating the risk benchmarking the risk and talking more about pure premium on different type of uh, uh, cyber risk is what we are actually offering through our tool as well as our individual reports i i want to dig into that a little bit so part of part of your struggle and part of the industry struggle with quantifying the exposure is that the the exposures are moving target uh for one thing uh the the types of attacks keep changing but for another thing you know the the definition of things you know what when when there's a data breach what does that mean what do you know is it every byte of data you know what what constitutes a piece of information and that likely is different uh jurisdiction by jurisdiction that uh, and and even within a jurisdiction that that could depend on different legalities across in the United States for instance different states may have different definitions or worse juries could have uh different uh punitive measures depending on on the company itself so that in and of itself must be a huge challenge for for what you're trying to do is just just trying to quantify what the exposure is seems to be like a moving target uh that's a really interesting uh, question rick and i must say you are like one step ahead where i started off so uh thanks for uh, flagging this issue and yes uh uh jurisdiction is a key concern because uh, uh leaking a public health record in us is a more big offense and it has a big penalties compared to uh, countries like india and other countries and uh, uh, every if uh, country has its own litigation uh, process so moreover uh, the discussion we, which we are doing currently is uh, focused on us uh but having said that the quantification part uh, is coming from uh, uh, the breaches as in uh, we have set of records which uh, uh, which actually talks more about the number of records that are affected in one breach so there there have been uh, catastrophic breaches in past in which millions of records has been actually wiped off at one point in time and there are breaches which are actually occurring in parts and how these affected coin uh, counts are been associated with the penalties and the litigation expenses that has been actually awarded against the party uh, the key party is been actually uh, uh, taken into account while developing uh, these uh, set of uh, rules which actually is defining value at risk so is with with you know this new wave of risk assessment coming in i'm curious as to do you think do you think risk is escalating do you think uh, attackers cyber criminals 
are able to perpetrate their crimes? Is it is it growing faster? Are they getting more clever? Are they doing it in a way that's faster than the risk assessors and the insurers and the uh, you know the uh, folks that are trying to protect society? Are the criminals moving faster than the protectors? Is essentially my question because it seems like when you read the media, uh, it, it it almost seems like a no win situation that you know f- good folks like yourself just can't keep up with what the criminals are doing. They're just moving ahead at a faster and faster rate. It, are we reading the media correct when it comes to that, or or is it is it something different? Uh, to answer this uh, question, Nick, uh, the p- problem is that uh, a protector needs to be good at every instance, 100,000 million, and a uh, cyber criminal needs to be good at one place, and that's it. So you need to actually protect yourself uh, uh, at each and every point. And the points and the entries are so much that uh, it, it becomes uh, harder, actually, to be awake uh, in terms of uh, uh, people who are actually joining the cyber army, who are actually uh, the protector of uh, internet, let's say, and that they, they are actually working on the back end of the technology, developing it. So they actually need to be uh, faster at each and every step, but there would be instances where these criminals would actually surpass you. Just taking you an example uh, that what uh, happened to NHS recently, uh, in in which uh, the NHS uh, National Health Records, um, as in in UK has been actually the prime target and uh, uh, there has been these attacks which are uh, spreading globally at a very faster pace. And the solution, the simple solution of that uh, was that that, uh, IP that has not also been uh, sold off, uh, as in uh, the website we registered on an IP, internet IP, and that IP has not also been registered as a website was actually causing the concern and all these uh, attacks has been targeted to that uh, particular IP. And the solution was that uh, only, only giving uh, 1,000 uh, US dollars, uh, uh, the person was actually able to purchase that particular IP and that's it. The problem was solved and the entire uh, attack was neutralized. So the problem was very simple, but it, it is like once in thousand and once in million scenario in which one door was kept open and that was the point that has been used actually used to attack. So technology is accessible to all. It is accessible to good people. It is accessible to bad people. And the ultimate question is that uh, when does the bad people would be like uh, in more advanced stage actually and they need to be good at one point. Uh, so, yes, uh, although you would try to actually safeguard yourself, but ultimately, uh, at one point in time, the breach, the attack would happen. So let's let's try to let's try to instill some good news in here or s- something positive. Could you could you provide you know is, let's use a eighty twenty rule? What are some simple things that people listening to this podcast can do to prevent cyber attacks? Yes. Uh, 
rule number one is antivirus and uh, firewalls are must you should not uh, keep your uh, mobile phones uh, laptops unattended the moment you pass on the control uh, it's it's uh, very vulnerable that uh, people would actually be in, would be able to access it apart from that uh, in organization these you have these uh, safety um, uh, sessions conducted for employees uh, for all other good organization as well there is a trend that uh, actually the literacy the cyber risk literacy has been actually trying to kept up and the bars are quite high right now and the employees are uh, told about the do's and don'ts and the do's actually is uh, related to uh, as in uh, the password uh, which you are actually uh, provide using make the password more stronger uh, keep on changing and uh, keep good track of uh, of uh, your digital assets because uh, these assets are very uh, crucial and whenever you are using these uh, uh, public um, uh, computers uh, or at, at any point in time never forget to log out uh, wherever you are actually passing your personal information such as email id don't attach uh, uh, any kind of other information pertaining to uh, any password on don't don't uh, open these uh, emails which are coming uh, in your uh, uh, mailbox asking for some certain information that you feel very suspicious these are like the common uh, uh, do's and don'ts which you need to follow what is your opinion on the software products that manage and keep track of and generate uh, strong passwords um, you know there's a there's a handful of them now uh, you recommend those I, I've actually been looking into that so I'm, I'm I'm actually very curious now uh, how effective you think those software packages are. Uh, those uh, software packages are quite uh, quite trustable because uh, these software are always encrypted, and anything which is encrypted uh, would not let you down. So um, uh, rest be assured that uh, these these uh, encrypted password. Uh, as in these softwares are quite robust, and if they are prompting to actually. Uh, Uh, make a strong password they are not tracking uh, your uh, password or they are not trying to or as in steal your password from your system where do you think the cyber insurance market will be in 5 years uh it's it's uh, as in from last 15 years everybody was talking about cyber but cyber insurance into, as a uh, premium was not going up but now is the time actually in which i see a multifold increase in terms of uh, uh, cyber insurance market going up so it's a year year on year 30 to 35% growth uh, global growth that's been forecasted uh, currently it's sitting around somewhere around 5 500 billion but uh, it's it's well poised to go much much above uh, uh, 2000 billion maybe maybe up do you think along with that premium growth do you think that growth will be profitable will they be able to contain yes. the, will they be able to contain the losses 
Uh, that's a difficult question, I must say. It, it, it does. It is a difficult question because uh, uh, the insurance companies are still uh, in the mood, actually, to uh, come up with a very intelligent product, the product which is actually uh, beneficial to these corporates. Uh, they are capping uh, the limits, basically, on which the value at risk, uh, which we just discussed, uh, they are not giving a very big uh, limits as as uh, the only reason is that they are not able to judge uh, in case of any catastrophic loss what would be the loss so the capping in terms of um, insurance limit a uh, cyber insurance limit is concerned is going up to 100 to 150 million not not uh, beyond that so since they are not uh, coming up with a higher limit uh, the premium size for the big corporates might not be uh, increasing but uh, the number of uh, corporates or uh, medium term or even personal uh, level cyber insurance would be actually getting multiplied with uh, healthcare organizations uh, coming into picture and more other. So the number of units would increase, but uh, the uh, the limit won't. So uh, the profitability, I believe, would be there because uh, in a way, the insurance companies are actually capping their risk. Because it's still an unknown territory for them. So let's let's transition a little bit from cyber to your personal life. Uh, how, did did you always know that you would be an entrepreneur growing up? Uh, not really. Uh, actually, I started. Uh, uh, I'm a mechanical engineer. Thereafter, uh, I pursued uh, as an uh, insurance was accidental. Uh, I can you describe uh, that? Can you describe how you got into insurance? Yeah, so after pursuing my mechanical engineering, uh, there's this local insurance company, ICICI Lombard, for which uh, uh, I started doing a motor claim survey. And uh, I was associated with uh, a tracking record of uh, motor claims and motor claims um, servicing to the client. Thereafter, that's a point where I got interested in insurance and thereafter I pursued my master's in insurance and uh, again landed up uh, in, uh, as, in, uh, as an underwriter this time around for property and casualty. And thereafter, I came to my uh, came to the thing I actually wanted to, which which is like the analytics uh, of insurance. And I worked in RMS, uh, uh, that's uh, uh, Catastrophe Modeling, world's uh, largest catastrophic uh, modeling organization. Uh, I worked uh, there for uh, six, seven, good six, seven years and eventually decided that uh, I had my own view actually to uh, look at the risk. And that's the time uh, where I decided that uh, I can actually do much better in terms of uh, what I have to offer in my productive life uh, at this point and beyond. And uh, there comes uh, the opportunity related to cyber risk. Uh, later on, we would be actually moving to uh, NatCat hazard model as well, in which we would be actually not uh, creating a model, but actually would be able to providing these uh, services to rate the risk better and beyond. So 
of now i am doing what i always wanted to while i was working in rms because uh, there that's the point i was actually created this uh, love for these numbers and the model and how the production is being done what kind of simulation method methodology is being applied whether it's a uh, uh, monte carlo simulation and what uh, statistical model is actually suiting what kind of bunch of data and what value addition this is actually creating to the client and how faster the transition is in terms of uh, uh, the underwriter reading the number and taking the call about uh, these numbers that what should be their uh, their premium rates and how uh, to actually go about uh, writing the risk better and the, this this has uh, its own uh, fun associated with uh, it and uh, the value addition that's been done so entrepreneur uh, i had have no, never thought of but i am doing what i always wanted to do so it's it's, it's quite satisfying so what's what's been the toughest part uh, the toughest part is actually uh, this uh, discussion is uh, interesting in a way uh, there are a lot of tough part but uh, actually uh managing the day to day uh, operations uh, in terms of uh, what uh, and where we need to go for also uh to overlook actually the financial problems which uh, comes uh, day in day out uh, but uh, as in uh, having said that i think uh, the toughest part is providing uh your caliber that you can uh, uh would be able to do what i uh, i am doing right now so as in there are uh, the organization which are at a good place set and they have actually validated their concept that okay uh, i am doing this and everybody knows that and uh, the ch- their challenge is over but my challenge as an entrepreneur has just started and actually i need to prove the world that uh, the concept is really working and this this uh, is very helpful to you so that's that's the point uh, uh, which uh, is crucial and uh, as in the starting phase uh, every entrepreneur face that uh, the work i am doing is uh, valid is uh, validated and uh, this would be actually helpful to you how difficult was it to raise capital uh i'm uh, 100 percent bootstrap right now so i'm trying to do these bootstrapping i'm not uh, diluting uh, my shares as of now but uh, uh, we are now at a stage uh, in which uh, we'd be actually getting going to angel investor uh, because the process of scaling up has been has uh, uh, been the concern right now so um, i have not not given a uh, well thought but i think it will be difficult <laughs> So could you could you spend a f- couple minutes and talk about the startup scene in India? So uh your company is based in India. Um how yes. do you how do you think it compares uh what are the what are the pros and cons uh to being a startup in India versus being uh especially in surtech versus being one in the US or Europe? Yeah. So um India is like a a growing nation but uh india is one of the fastest growing startup ecosystem right now and in recent years the startup ecosystem has really uh 
taken over and it's been uh, driven by factors such as massive funding consolidated activities and evolving technology uh, and ma as in the growing market uh, domestic market as well uh, when we compared to uh, the startup scene in india versus us there's a huge gap still as in uh, the currently as in the current number of uh, uh, this startup in 2016 were some around uh, 4000 uh, to 4400 compared to us in which uh, the startup is somewhere around 4 to 7000 so it's like uh, 10 to 12 folds of uh, as in more number of startups are there in us when we compare the gdp india is just uh, uh, 2183 billion compared to us which is 17968 billion 2016 and uh, and in terms of uh, vcs uh, india has uh, Somewhere around uh, 156 uh, VC, listed VCs uh, compared to US, in which uh, there are like th- 1,300 plus uh, venture capitalists. Uh, number of angels in angel investors in India would be 300 compared to US, which is like 300,000. <laughs> uh, number of uh, deals which are maturing as a startup in India is uh, 510 compared to. some 3500 or deals which has been startup deals on an annual basis in us uh, but having said that uh, uh, the trade freedom in india uh, when we compare from 1996 to 2016 is uh, coming from 14% to 71% which is very significant means that uh, the government is being very supportive in terms of uh, uh, creating these rules and abandoning the rules which are actually creating the hustle hassle in uh, in when it comes to freedom to set up the business uh, when compared to us uh, from 1996 to 2016 uh, these stats are actually uh, from 78.4% to 87% which is like at a very higher stage but uh, uh, the there is multifold increase in terms of uh, uh, trade freedom in india so uh, the stage is actually ready uh, the investment is ready and the ecosystem is ready uh, there is a demand from domestic uh, economy as well also a very good part uh, in terms of uh, information technology or computer resources uh, from india is that uh, uh, the resources are available uh, uh, and uh, uh, they are quite good uh, in terms of uh, the value addition uh, they they are currently doing uh, so a uh, robust ecosystem not uh, developed yet but uh, actually very supportive do you do you get a lot of attention from outside of india uh, i i am looking at you know the area that you're in and chertech is really hot globally uh, i'm assuming that uh, vcs in europe and the us have reached out to you uh not yet uh but i'll be like uh, more than uh, welcome welcoming enough if i uh, get a opportunity to present uh, the product and uh, as in when it comes to actually uh, talk about uh, the shared dilution and things like that uh, because we need we are at a point uh, in which we need to actually scale up because we are getting demands globally so when once we are talking about insurance tech uh, the market is for us is global uh, because uh, india is uh, currently uh in cyber insurance space uh, the annual uh, premium is somewhere around 15 million to uh, 20 million 
compared to us which is uh, already in uh, uh, billions so uh, it's it, it's uh, close to 2 billion right now and uh, uh, a good demand from singapore as well so uh, yes the product which we are uh, working on is global and actually is uh, solving a group global problem because uh, cyber is more uh, uh related to everybody around the world uh, so we'd be like more than happy enough actually to uh, get in uh, contact with uh, the organization and helping them around uh, this is a buzz topic so moreover my day starts with actually a lot of meetings uh, talking about the product uh, the value addition and uh, the how to actually subs- go about the subscription the individual reports we are working on and uh, the software which is there that uh, what what needs to be done to install that uh, in house uh, their premises how big is your team right now uh it's close to 10 to 12 people right now uh, we are a Del- new delhi based organization i want to i want to transition over to uh you personally uh your In, you're you're an entrepreneur you're running a business that uh is going to potentially be global in nature so how do you stay productive uh what what types of tools do you use that um allow you to stay you know uh productive and allow your team to be productive as well uh for being productive one thing i always make sure that i am not doing multitasking uh i avoid multitasking at each and every point uh, uh, as in whenever uh, i am doing stuff i try to be 100% focused uh as in i plan my day accordingly uh because uh, as in sitting in a meeting and uh, as in checking the email things actually hampers and at times i have seen that actually it it does uh, affect the productivity uh when i am sitting with uh, actually the modelers and talking uh, about the product in detail and what value addition that will be doing i'll, I'll try to be 100% focused this actually helps me a lot uh to actually get more out of what i have been doing uh keeping my to do to do list updated uh, uh with the start of the day and updating it uh, before the bedtime actually helps me a lot also um, i want to make uh, my desk time very productive the moment as in most of the time i have uh, glued to my uh, seat because the kind of work uh currently we are doing it's it's a lot in terms of integrating different number of things it's uh, from integrating a vulnerability penetration tool to our model uh to provide these uh underwriting reports actually is a whole bigger cycle so uh try to be more productive once at uh, i am at my desk are uh, some of the tools which uh, i keep always in mind to be very productive do you do your to do list on a piece of paper or do you do it digitally uh on on my diary it's a piece of paper <laughs> it's funny i i have my notebook in front of me and i yeah. can't i can't seem to transition over to a digital one i i just right. I, there's something about a piece of paper and writing on it that really links your mind with the problem uh that i i just a, a digital solution is just uh not the same i there's there i i have a feeling that there are going to be some old school methods that just uh will die hard 
simply because they're just so effective. And uh, pen to paper still works. It still uh, it still works really well, and I I just can't seem to give it up. And and quite honestly, I'm at, uh, I'm having trouble giving up paper books as well. Uh, as much as I do like my Kindle, there's just a special feeling when uh, holding. Uh, a book with all those pages in that piece of paper, uh, reading it on a Kindle or on a phone or on a tablet or even on my monitor on a screen. It's just not the same. I'm, I'm, I wonder if you feel the same way. Yeah, that's so true, Nick. That's so true. And uh, it's, it's like, um, uh, uh, when you were saying this, it actually was uh, coming as an eco from, uh, we actually together eco at the same, uh, uh, feeling about uh, writing on a piece of a paper and maintaining your diary and it, it is like a, it gives a connection to you and it, it's like a strong message that okay uh, this 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 and this is like a human thing which always keeps you going uh, but the the point uh, where as in where this conversation started I actually have a very important point uh, to make because this uh, all of a sudden came to my mind uh, if you allow me I'll, I'll just share that of course please uh, yeah so it's related to uh, the tangible and intangible uh, risk which we are actually uh, into right now and uh, the same connection uh, which we are talking about uh, that actually this this gives you a more human angle and uh, this is like uh, i can use my diary uh, at any point in time but uh, if uh, i don't have much of uh, energy uh, as in the electricity is not there or things like that someday my laptop or uh, mobile phone would turn off and i won't be <laughs> using that so that's a different part coming to uh, as in the intangible and tangible risk. Actually, uh, while we are doing uh, these research on cyber risk uh, and uh, let's say the building, uh, every corporate is actually having these uh, building insurance to actually mitigate the earthquake risk and a different, different kind of risk associated with their physical asset, which is your uh, tangible asset. But once it comes to intangible assets, because we are not seeing that, we are not uh, seeing our data uh, in terms of uh, the codes that has been written or uh, the virtual currency and things like that, we are not uh, being very cautious about the fact that they are also vulnerable, equally vulnerable. So uh, taking an example of a building which has a potential risk of 0.005%, everybody is actually going to insure their building. Uh, none, uh, uh, nonetheless, that the risk is less. But when it's come to cyber insurance, the risk is far too greater. Uh, what we have studied and calculated through our model, that the risk is somewhere around 0.05%, which is like 10 times higher than what the threat would be to your building or a physical pr premises. But since the building is in front of you, we know that, okay, this is my asset and I need to actually safeguard it. But cyber is still intangible in a way that we, since we are not able to gauge it, uh, we are not able to actually quantify it. We are not taking the insurance as well. But this scenario actually would uh, change or transition in future because uh, the risk is, the very much risk is there and it's quite higher than insuring a building itself. That's a really important point. I struggle with that every day as well. In, in my business dealing with flood, you know, it's, we have, I've seen situations where the risk of 
water entering the home will be many multiples greater than the risk of fire. And yet right. property owners almost always buy fire insurance. It's just, it's, um, you know, it'd be foreign to them to buy a property and not buy fire insurance on it. But when confronted with the information that water is a much more dangerous threat, somehow it's not, it's hard to describe. In the conversations that we've had over the generations, uh, they just can't quite overcome that fire is the biggest threat. And so Mm -hmm. they, they, they're almost paralyzed when it comes to making decisions such as that. So I can completely see how something that's intangible is essentially invisible to them. They would be worse than paralyzed. They'd ignore it. It, 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 the risk would almost not even exist itself. So that's a very interesting concept, which for, for people that are actually listening to this conversation, it's what I bang my shoe on the table against all the time. Uh, in insurance, it, the insurance industry is not necessarily backwards. It's uh, it's a product that's incredibly difficult to sell, and so the distri- it's the distribution that is the biggest to me the biggest uh, roadblock when it comes to insurance because it's really hard to take something like cyber, something like what you're trying to do with the risk assessment, and package it in such a way that a human being that sees this invisible risk is willing to actually take money out of their pocket and do something about that's a, that's a really difficult sell. It's not like an an iPhone, which is this, you know, a product it's awesome. You get to do all these wonderful things. You're trying to sell protection to something that's almost invisible. Uh, It's like, it's like selling ice to Eskimos. Uh, It's, it's really difficult. So, um, There's no easy solution to that. It's just it's going to take a lot of time and marketing and a lot of good work by uh, people like you. So, uh, you know, uh, good good luck. Good luck on that, Amit. Um, Amit, this is uh, we're we're coming to the end of the show and this is uh, we're coming into the part of the show that I enjoy the most. But I don't think my guests do. But it's a game we call Rank the Risk where uh, I asked the guests uh, uh, questions about their, uh, their particular expertise. And, and I do this to try to overcome misconceptions, but also to provide some insight for myself that's uh, the person doing the research, but also the listeners who are coming in and want to learn something about risk. So uh, being that you're on the show and being that you're the, the name of your company and what you deal with every day is cyber risk, I'm going to ask you a simple question about cyber. Are you ready? Yes. Let's okay. play. <laughs> uh, so I have one simple question. I'm, I'm going to give you the names of four countries. And I want you to rank those countries by cyber crime, by the totality aggregate of their cyber crime. And right. so the four countries I have selected are India, Right. Germany. Right. Brazil and China. So India, Germany, Brazil, and China. Out of those four countries, Amit, 
which which one of those countries has the greatest aggregate amount of annual cybercrime? Uh, Germany, for sure. Okay. Which one's number two? Uh, it's China. Which one's number three? Uh, it's India. And so that would make Brazil four. Mm-hmm. So you're actually very, very close. And uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to, to – uh, this is a good exercise is – that uh, I think most people would have would have said China number one, and and by the way, China is number one. But the okay. I did this this way because I thought China would be number one out of those four by a f- huge margin, considering okay. you know the population. But China mm-hmm. and Germany are basically the same. Uh, China has uh, sixty billion. And annual aggregate cybercrime. Germany has fifty nine, so they're they're basically the same. Uh, which I would never have guessed. I would have guessed China to be by far uh, very very big, just because of the size of the population. But then uh, going past that, Brazil has almost double the cybercrime that India has. That oh. to me, that was just that seemed uh, preposterous. Just based off of the population. So, you know, so what this shows is that population itself is not a good indicator of mm. a good correlate is a good correlator of uh, cybercrime. Um, and I will put this is a, this is from a report by Allianz. So I, I will share this on the show notes. So um, mm. looking at the the biggest. So it's in the list that I provided. It's uh, China, then Germany, but they're essentially the same. Then Brazil, then India. But if you look at the top yeah. 10 economies, uh, the United States by far has the most cybercrime. It is uh, almost du- yeah. double everybody else. So the United States has about $110 billion of annual cybercrime, then China, then Germany. Uh, number four is Brazil. So th- okay. that's, that's, the, that's the anomaly, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Then it's then it's uh, the UK, then India, then France, then Russia. I thought Russia would be much bigger. I thought they'd be uh, very active, but they're probably active, but the, ramific- the ramifications of their activity are probably outside of the country itself. That goes for China as well. As in the most number of attacks, actually, that's been uh, hitting different uh, uh, websites and uh, different actually they keep on gauging stuff so the thing about r- cyber is that uh, uh, that can be automated in a way that uh, they keep on looking for any loophole any loophole any loophole in any ip and the point they get it okay they, they decide that this is my target that's wild it really is so i i will yeah. share i will share this report it's actually a very comprehensive cyber risk guide by allianz uh, i'm not sure if you've seen it it uh, looks fairly new. It looks like it uh, it came out uh, within the past year or so. So uh, wow. very very interesting report. I will share it with you and share it with the audience on the show notes. And so yeah, Amit, I've we've come to the end of the show. You've really enlightened us uh, when it comes to cyber. Uh, if folks that are listening would like to reach out to you, how can they reach you? Uh, they can reach out uh, anytime to me at uh, uh, 
my website, uh, which is cyberboxer.com. And uh, I'm available as an email me at amit.rai, that's A-M-I-T dot R-A-I at the rate cyberboxer.com. Uh, just ping me for anything and I'll, I'll be up, up with my services. My guest this week has been Amit Rai of Cyberboxer. Amit, thank you so much for being on Profiles and Risk. It's a pleasure talking to you, Nick.